This podcast is brought to you by Mogul Square Media. We create the content, you create the lifestyle. You are now listening to the best podcast in the world, The Awakened Soul, hosted by my dad. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Awakened Soul, episode 64. Lord have mercy. You guys have stuck with me through 64 episodes, but nonetheless, we got the return of Andrew Bello. Um, some of y'all may love that, some of y'all may hate it, but it's a great conversation with a great question presented towards the end of the conversation. So I really say uh, stick and listen through the whole conversation um, because it, it just it definitely gets into a place where you can see why me and Bello have the relationship we do um, because we're not afraid to ask each other the hard questions. And I'm really excited for where that conversation kind of went and uh, how we left it off and, and promised to come back and pick it up. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys will appreciate that as well. And that's what we like to do here at The Awakened Soul. But enough of sending previews out for that conversation. We also have Scoop. Is back himself uh, with the petty news. Shanice, of course, is back as always, my sister, who I love dearly. Um, then we also have JB. A lot of you guys may not remember JB because he hasn't been around since the September 11th special last year. Um, and as as a uh, a uh, Muslim himself, uh, we had a great conversation back then about September 11th. But we were actually discussing. Uh, just answering a simple question uh, today. So it's not as deep. We're answering the question, is The Exorcist the best horror movie of all time? Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's another conversation I'm excited for. And you don't necessarily even have to know horror movies to listen to that conversation. It's just it's just a good conversation, which is what uh, we try to do. Um, so, yeah, that's it for this week. Um other than that, you guys know how we do it around here. The, the end of mind of hey segment definitely has to come up because we have to get into my crazy, dark and twisted mind. So we're going to play a little bit more music for you lovely people. On the other side of that, it will be in the mind of me, King Hayes. So <laughs> this 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 week, I got you guys covered with some uh, with some exclusive. So get into the music for that. I'll see you guys on the other side. You know what time is. I'm keeping 
and this and that from the minute I get him. Picking this shirt off, doing the cat, who's screaming and hollering it all. Got the picture, come up with it, put it together, deliver, make him feel it, bitch. I've been on shot. Pull me out the fence, sharp. Bang! Like that stupid in the fence for all. So in the mind of Hayes this week, we have um, a large part of this is going to be discussion on an event that I went to this weekend. But I definitely want to mention and, and talk about the fact that Jane McCain passed away and he actually has requested that Barack Obama and George W. Bush deliver eulogies for him at his funeral. Now, um, Obama has issued a statement shortly after McCain's death, uh, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll read that. It says that we saw our political battles even as a privilege, something noble, an opportunity to serve as stewards of those high ideals at home and to advance them around the world. We saw this country as a place where anything is possible and citizenship as our patron, patriotic obligation to ensure it forever remains this way. Few of us have been tested the way that John was or required to show the kind of courage that he did. But all of us can aspire to the courage to put greater, put the greater good above our own. At John's best, he showed us that what that means. And for that, we are all in his debt. Michelle and I send our most heartfelt condolences to Cindy and their family. Now, for some that don't, and I've been calling the carpet for the last couple of weeks, people who don't really, really pay attention to the news and people who just read the headlines or just certain sections are, are from or just take stuff and run with it. Uh, McCain has done good. He's done bad. Um, he's done things that I don't agree with and things that I very much agree with. Um, he did vote against Martin Luther King's birthday becoming a national holiday. Um, he's he's he's. He chose not to pander to racists when uh, some questioned Obama's allegiance to America. Like there have been good and bad as all of us as humans. If you admit, um, I, I hate seeing on Twitter that the, the reaction sometimes that people have when uh, McCain's mentioned or certain things because they just don't really pay attention to the, to everyday politics or the ins and outs. They know McCain just as Obama's uh, being opposed to Obama um, and running against him and really don't know much outside of that. Um, so I would I would just say everyone much like most politicians, he's done good. He's done bad. I will never celebrate anyone's death. I do love the fact that he asked, I mean, people who, who in the public mind have been aligned as his rivals in, in a lot of people's eyes to deliver eulogies to him. And, um, I, I just, I can't wait to hear them. I, I definitely wanted to mention, uh, this before I got into anything else. Uh, the, the, of course the passing of John McCain, but we're going to move on from that, uh, for right now, at least. And, um, we're going to get into my weekend. So this weekend, I had the pleasure of going to the Columbus Black International Film Festival. I got to see well over who it had to be counting short films. I probably saw like 15, 20 films. Um, it was Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Both Thursday and Friday were relatively short days. So I was there from um, about about 4 p.m. to about 8 p.m. Uh, Thursday and Friday. But Saturday, I was there. Uh, the, the, the event went from 10 in the morning to well at past 11 at night um, with the award show. And while I'm not going to talk about it this episode in detail, because I'm actually uh, a couple of the, the directors from 
the the film festival have agreed to be on the show and i'm also going to try to get uh christian stewart who is actually the um the organizer of the event on next week's episode as well to, to just discuss that and get really in depth and then some of the stuff there but what i will say if there's nothing that i don't want to go ahead and, and get out there for everyone because the movie is available i believe on amazon prime and hulu but there's a film that i saw there called black cop and i would I would I would that was probably my favorite movie from the weekend, my favorite full length movie from the weekend. There was actually another movie that that was more my favorite, but it was a short. Um, but just for the for the feature length movies, go and look at it. It's called Black Cop. Um, let me know how you think about it. We will we'll definitely be talking about it uh, here on that episode where I review the festival. But overall, it was just a great, great experience to be around that many black filmmakers and actors and directors and um, just being able to, to have the discussions uh, with some of most of them had Q&A's after their their film played, especially the, the, the feature length films. And it was just a powerful, powerful weekend. Um, as, as I say all the time, I'm not really an emotional guy. There's very few things that would bring me to tears, but there were there were a few movies there that definitely definitely brought a tear to my eye and saw a lot of documentaries as well. Um, Target St. Louis is, I think, one uh, that a lot of my listenership uh, being being from St. Louis will appreciate as well. So just, just look look into those films, but definitely, definitely watch Black Cop. Um, for anyone who does watch it, please email me, tweet me, send in a voice recording, whatever you need to do, because I want to hear everyone's thoughts after they see this film. But this is one that uh, that I definitely felt uh, was just powerful and that I would love everyone to be able to go see. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's it for the end of mine. Hayes. relatively short because you know, that, that film festival just, it really, it really left me with a lot to sit with, but I want to, I want to do it justice. I want to have a full episode on it. Um, I don't really want much else to take away from it. So we'll, we'll be talking about that next week. As I prepare sit downs and interviews and things of that sort, uh, we're going to getting ready to get into my sister segment. That is Shanice with the unpopular opinion. Uh, this one's as they're always fire. Um, but this one, definitely, I, I think you guys will um, agree that this is probably one of the better ones yet. So we're going to get into the intro music for that. On the other side of that, you will hear Shanice's wonderful voice with her unpopular opinion. Hey, y'all. So I'm not exactly sure how I want to approach this week's unpopular opinion. Um, So I'm just going to get right into it. So recently, um, Kendall Jenner of the Kardashian-Jenner clan did an interview with Love Magazine, and they were basically asking her about, like, a career and, you know, what's it like being a model. And she said some words that the general population felt were disrespectful and very privileged, and they took offense to it. So I'm going to read to you the snippet in which everyone is outraged about. Since the beginning, we've been super selective about what shows I would do. I was never one of those girls who would do like 30 shows a season or whatever the fuck those girls do. More power to them. But I had a million jobs, not only catwalks, but everything else. The whole combination was very overwhelming, and I started to freak out a little bit and needed to take a step back. 
that statement was Kendall Jenner basically saying that, you know, her and her team or her manager, i.e. her mom, um, decided that at some point they had to start being selective about the jobs they would do. It's no secret that Kendall Jenner is a somewhat of a celebrity. She's very known around the world, as is her family. So you would think naturally that designers would want her to do these jobs and wear their clothes and do these catwalks because it's bringing more notoriety to their name. The general population didn't appreciate this. They took what her statement was as saying, like, I'm privileged and I can do whatever I want and I'm a model, but, you know, I'm also a celeb, so I don't have to do what everybody else has to do. And I'm confused by that because from what I read she said more power to them. She said, you know, I don't know how many shows those girls do, but more power to them. I couldn't do it. It sounds to me when I initially read it that she was saying, being that I am such a high profile celebrity, I'm being booked to do all these things. It was freaking me out. I had to take a step back. You know, I can't do, I can't do what's being required of me. And you know, it led me to, you know, sit and ponder about the the phrase or the old saying, people listen not to understand, but people listen to respond. So I sat with that. I played with it a little bit. And then I was like, you know what? I don't think that necessarily hits the nail on the head quite. I think we need to revamp that for 2018 moving forward. So not only do people not listen with the intent to understand and they don't listen with the intent, you know what I mean? And they don't only listen to the intent to respond. They listen with the intent to be offended. Now it's no secret social media, the way it's going, everyone has a plat or feels like they have a platform to share their opinions and their upsets and blah, 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 blah. It's no secret. We're all alive. We all have our phones. We all know these things. And I'm trying to figure out what, who started this of taking someone's words as clear as they can be and just pumping their own feelings into it to then validate their feelings and tell the person what they were saying. Now, if you're a little lost on that, because I know I said it a little messed up here, I'm going to say it again. When did people start pumping their own feelings into the words of others to then change what that person was saying and then make it seem wrong? Now, this has happened to me. You know, people take my words. They take my feelings. They take, you know, things that I post on my website. And they get in their feelings about it. And even though I'm always open to a conversation and I love speaking to people with different views, as I sat there and tried to have a conversation and seek understanding and go, well, 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 I understand your feelings, but let me tell you what I was saying. I can't tell you how to interpret, but let me at least clear up what I was saying. And it wasn't met with, you know, it wasn't met with openness, the same openness that I gave out. It came with that whole, I'm offended, you're wrong, you said what I feel you said. And it, it's it's sad to me because conversation, the English language, the reason I went to school for it and I love it so much is because it's so powerful. Just people... People don't understand how powerful their words are. And it's not only the people who initially state something, not only their words are powerful, 
but also the powerful powerful words of those who don't agree with that initial person. Those words are also powerful. So I'm not sure what it is um, going on. I'm, I'm, I hope that this whole, you know, phase, slow molasses movement of everyone getting offended over everything and using their own feelings to then restructure someone else's point and message. I really hope that goes away. Because it's not fair, and then it causes people to not want to speak and causes people to feel. It just causes too much animosity. There's too much shit going on in the world for people to be coming at Kendall Jenner over saying, yeah, for me, I can't do that many jobs. It, 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 I need to take a step back. It freaks me out. It's sort of like growing up. I don't know about your households, but in my household, if you're tired at three o'clock in the afternoon and your mom comes like, well, you didn't go to work today and I pay all the bills and blah, 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 blah. Like, well, well, I'm, I get that and I respect that, but I'm still tired. So my tiredness should not be in question. You know what I mean? I mean, I could go into millions of examples of why that doesn't make sense. Just like if you complain about your life and I'm so tired of going to work and I'm so tired of paying these bills and you're expressing these things and someone goes, well, you need to be grateful because some people don't work and some people don't have enough money to pay their bills. All those things are very true, but that doesn't take away from the fact that I also said... I don't want to work anymore and I'm tired of paying bills just because it's worse for one person doesn't mean that I should not feel bad or feel stressed for my own situations or have my own opinions and thoughts. That just doesn't make sense. It's something that everyone has dealt with themselves and yet they can't give other people that same understanding. So anyway, I'm going to say that. Let that be it. Um, I'm not sure what you can take from this besides, you know, the old saying of just, you know, try thinking of what it's like to be in someone else's shoes and try to listen with the intent to understand, not agree. Agree and understand are not the same things. Listen with the intent to understand what someone's saying and stop pumping their words with your feelings to then restructure the narrative. So I usually come after Shanice's unpopular opinion. I give some of my thoughts on um, on what she said, and then I transition to the stupid idiot of the week. Um, it's going to be a little bit different this week. I will say, based off Shanice's segment there, is that, just simply put, um, the ones, the people who just use certain details or certain facts just to push their own narrative rather than actually spread the facts, I think that they're, they're a special kind of retarded. Um and I just need everyone. I need people in general to do better. And I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that. Um, don't if you're going, especially on a public forum, if you're going to use 
any type of details, any type of articles, any type of statistics, don't just pull only what supports your argument. Pull it all and then say your opinion or your how you take in um, those facts and then, you know, just discuss it. But, you know, that's that's not trying to get on a high horse. Um, The next the next thing, though, um, we're not going to have any other transition music. Um, because this situation, I, I thought about putting this woman in the stupid idiot, but this, this situation is really, in my opinion, it's too serious to be put into a comedy segment or something that's meant to be funny. And, uh, this one comes straight from, I guess, I guess we would call this a extended in the mind, a haze. Um, but this is coming from Long Island, New York, uh, Nikki Yavino, uh, accused two black football players falsely of rape. And what happened is that she later came out and said that she did it in an attempt to hopefully gain sympathy of someone she was interested in dating. Um, she got charged with uh, two two counts of second degree falsely reporting an incident and one count of interfering with the police, um, all misdemeanors uh, because she took a plea deal. And the two young men in this case um, were forced to leave school and they lost their scholarships. Um, they lost their opportunity for education. Uh, they lost their uh, potential, any, any athletic um, attention that they would have gotten or accolades they may have gotten And their whole life now could be ruined because of one desperate woman who wanted a date with someone who wasn't even involved with these two men. Um, this is just, and you know, in, in the, in the case, uh, or not in the case, but in this era uh, of the Me Too movement, um, it, it's, people like this are especially horrible because you're using something or coming off the back of of a culture now that is more heightened and trying to be more aware and proactive with rape cases and, and charges of that of that type. And now you're using that to garner attention from someone completely else. Like what what type of sicko? Um, how sick in the head do you have to be to to do this and to take away two people who had nothing to do with this woman there and affect their lives in that way? And we've talked about it here. I have an episode titled Me Too, so definitely check that out. But the the Me Too movement is powerful. It's one that I support. It's one that I love for what it's for, that it's doing, that it's something like this is finally coming uh, to the forefront. But in, in any case, in any case, when, when the culture changes or there are movements, there are always going to be people who try to exploit those move, exploit those movements to their benefit. And it, it's it's sickening. It's sickening. The, the, the Me Too movement, there are women who have been dealing with stuff their whole lives. And now that they have to deal with or this movement can and I don't think it's going to at all slow down the movement. It's not really necessarily a black eye, but it definitely is. It's, it's bad. And, and it's always the false cases of rape that have made it not harder, but that people have to stay aware of in, in the culture and everything that's going on. And this is just something that I saw as a former athlete, as just a father as well, that I would hate if my son's opportunities got taken away because of one just idiot. So let me know what you guys think about it. If you if you're familiar with the article, um, definitely check it out. It's and like I said, it's it's just sickening. It's one that I made sure that I wanted to talk about in this episode. So for anyone who's looking forward to the stupid idiot of the week, I apologize. There's no stupid idiot. Um, we are going to bring back up the energy, though. Um, and uh, with with the petty news from Scoop, Scoop Grady, this one's 
you, you guys will notice the differences here. So we're going to get into that segment. I'll see you guys on the other side. Hello, this is Jerry Rubbers, and you are listening to the... Wait, 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 wait. This ain't it. This ain't it. Let's see if we do it like this. <clears throat> is this thing on? Yes, sir. What up, y'all? This is Scoop Grady, and I'm giving y'all nothing but the petty news, y'all. So let's get right into it. Azalea Banks is in the hot seat, and she got a box full of Kleenexes for you. How the hell she going wilding out and start crying? She can't take one little simple joke, and DC Young Fly didn't even give her the real thing. So she's lucky that nobody embarrassed her. And then she gonna go on social media and say how disrespected she was on Wild and Out going at Nick Cannon and everybody else. Like, Azealia, I didn't even know who you were at first. You had on funeral gloves. I thought you was gonna sit in your own casket because DC Young Fly read your eulogy. Yes, please. If you're going Wild and Out, make sure you're ready to get flamed because Azealia Banks was not ready and she got her feelings hurt. And I really think nobody puts her in her place. I ain't gonna fake it. I feel like she's been around everybody that just worship her, that just look up to her like, you are the best. And somebody put her down back to reality where she needed to be. Moving on. Next, Christina Million's home was broken into and they stole at least $100,000 worth of items. Now, I'm not going to lie. I think it was an inside job, if you ask me. It was said that Christina Million's home was secured with nothing but alarms all around the house. Now, if you ask me, it sounded like it was an inside job or the people that secured her home knew exactly where to go. Now, Christina Million got a big house, so they knew exactly where the jewelry was and they stole other items that came up to $100,000. Now, people are on social media trying to say, like, Christina still got money. Y'all just goes, it just goes to show that you just don't know what people are doing out here. I hope that she get everything together, but damn it, you need to watch who's around your home, okay? Next. <sighs> Black China and YBN Almighty J are over. They broken up. They are not going back to each other. And they are on to bigger and better things. Now, Black China is breaking up and going with somebody else too fast. She got more issues with relationships than a freaking Usher confession album. Black China had more men inside of her than a than a men's restroom. And then on top of that, she already got somebody that fast. It's people that pray about having a relationship. This girl already bounced to another one that fast. Black China is faster than a roach when you turn the lights on. Just she's on to the next one, scattered out of nowhere. I just hope she's going to the clinic consistently and make sure she's not sleeping with the doctor. Next, Shaquille O'Neal gets on Instagram and say, "This is the same suit I'm wearing when I married Shawnee O'Neal." Now I think this is a great idea. Now Shaq and Shawnee was like one of the best couples out there in the NBA at one point. Now if Shaq gonna shoot his shot, I just hope it ain't a damn free throw because he ain't got nothing coming with that. Now Shawnee is on social media saying, "No, it ain't gonna happen." Shawnee, don't play yourself. You know you want that dude back. You know he took the best years of your life, girl. Don't you act like y'all ain't got nothing in common. You know you love that man, so you might as well make it better. Please don't have him on basketball wise though. That's all I'm gonna say. Next. Stevie Wonder will be performing at the Aretha Franklin funeral. Now, I'm not going to lie. My eyes will be glued to the TV. And no, I'm not talking about Stevie Wonder eyes. I will definitely be watching front and center. I'm just glad they don't have Madonna trying to do anything that has to do with Aretha Franklin ever again. Finally, we're going to get something real positive and singing from the soul. Because Madonna did nothing but talk about herself for Aretha Franklin tribute. And I was pissed all the way off. But Stevie Wonder going to kill it. And I know he going to kill it because he's been killing it his whole life. I just know he's saying this in the back of his head. He wish he could see Aretha Franklin for the last time. And if y'all trying to be funny and y'all laughing, y'all pettier than me. Because I ain't even trying to be funny right now. 
Okay, maybe I am, but it is what it is, y'all. And that is all the news we have for today. Thank you for listening to the petty news and don't be fooled. Nah, the hell with that. Before you click on social media and listen to them fools, make sure you listen to Awake and Soul Podcast because Scoop Grady got the petty news. Peace out, y'all. All right, so it's time for the meat and potatoes of this episode, the topic discussion of the week, uh, spurned by the Andrew Bello. So we are going to get into some transition music for that. And on the other side, it's me and Andrew Bello talking everything from politics to dissension in the feminist movement to racism. And as I said at the top of the show, I in kind of we kind of end the segment on a question that we and a subject that we are going to pick back up in a later episode um that is going to get pretty deep and i love the fact that bellows being willing to talk about it because a lot of people wouldn't um because it's a sensitive topic to get into but nonetheless not enough prefacing we're going to get into our intro music i will see you guys on the other side with andrew bellow yeah yeah go get the strap yeah yeah go get the strap Well, well, look who I found. It, it is Mr. Woke himself. The Andrew Bello has stepped back into the Awakened Soul. What's going on, Andrew? That's me, man. Yeah, since I think since the last time I've been at the Awakened Soul, I've taken on a new moniker. I'm now the smoke show, the Andrew Bello. And stop laughing, all of you, you goddamn animals. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, we have we have plenty to talk about. Uh, it's good to be back on the program, as always. And uh, yeah, man, let's let's go ahead and get into whatever whatever we want to touch on i guess so i guess that you know you you are very well known by the awakening soul audience as being a trump supporter um that's correct so we would be remiss if we did not at least talk some about the latest to go on with michael cohen and donald trump and the fact that you i'm sure you've seen the reactions on on twitter uh calling for impeachment um so let's just whittle it down and talk about the facts and how it does affect um donald trump so michael cohen did take a plea and admitting to several things um what was what was your reaction when you first uh when this news first came down yeah well all right so the big deal i guess that came out is like one of the statements that he made basically said that what he did in the way of uh election finance reform or election finance uh policy uh, violations was at the direct president's uh, request, basically. So basically, he, without saying his name, implicated Trump in being complicit in this uh, violation of campaign finance, yada, yada. So, um, I mean, there's there are a couple of different ways to, to go about this, I guess, from the Trump's perspective or from from the pro Trump perspective. Um, one of which is that, I mean, he may have very well told Michael Cohen to pay off of these, pay off these women in some way, shape or form, and just assume that Michael would do it, you know, by the books as a personal expenditure to pay off these women, uh, as a public figure, not necessarily as an, a potential elected official. There's really nothing legally wrong with that. That sort of thing happens all the time, even on a corporate level, non-disclosure agreements and things of those of the like. Uh, the, the big issue is that if any of the campaign funds went towards these payments, then yes, there is some sort of uh, campaign finance violation there. Having said that, we're also dealing with a guy who largely financed his own campaign. So 
I'm sure the the waters are pretty much going to be muddied enough to where it's going to be very, very hard to prove which money came from where. And it's also going to be hard to prove at the end of the day that this isn't an expenditure that Trump wouldn't have made had he not been running for president anyway. I'm sure there's probably a long line of women that he's paid off to keep quiet so that he didn't run into any sort of uh, additional marital problems than he probably brought upon himself being on his third wife. So, you know, uh, I, I'm not... I'm not bummed about it in any way, shape or form. I think a lot of people are getting really excited about it for for little to no reason. Uh, I also, in addition to all this, the irony is that in order for him to even be found guilty of violating the campaign finance uh, p- violations, you know, the the policies that he violated, uh, he would there would need to be an intent proved, which would be very hard for them to do because uh, he could just as easily plead ignorance on all of these sorts of things, being somebody who's new to the political sphere. And, uh, you know, with those two things said, I don't think this is going to amount to any real trouble for the president. It does look really bad. Not going to lie. A lot of people are getting a little bit too excited about it. Now, with the the fact that uh, Cohen, I believe, did cop a plea deal. Are you worried that? Uh, well, I wouldn't say you were. It's not like it's going to personally affect you. I, I know you're 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 a Trump supporter, but that doesn't mean it's going to personally affect your life. Um, but it are does, you worried? Though, in a lot in a lot of ways. I mean, there's a lot of people I've told were idiots that are now going to look very smart if all this turns back around on Trump. So in a way, I am personally invested into okay. it. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, so. I can I, I can understand that perspective. Um, are, are you worried at all that there there's any type of receipts or any anything that can prove uh trump's implicitcy in in this in this situation with uh that maybe that's just not being released at this time uh, I don't really know what that would be. I mean, basically, the idea from what I understood is that Michael Cohen opened up a bunch of shell organizations that uh, were going to house the money that was ultimately expended out to these women, Karen McDougal and Stormy McDaniels, uh, most notably. But um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he would have been hands off on this sort of thing. I think Michael Cohen would have been given power of attorney and his signature would be on all the documentation. And sure, he could say that Trump told him to do these things, but Trump could just as easily turn around and say, he's my lawyer. I expected him to do these things lawfully. And and it's just sort of a stalemate. And until they can prove that Trump explicitly told him to do it in an illegal fashion, uh, which is which is going to be he said versus, you know, it's going to be Michael Cohen's word versus Donald Trump's. And re- realistically, neither one of them are very credible. So I don't see any way for you to really determine the one is more credible than the other. All right. Well, and, and 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 I think you said it as well. But we we just want to be clear. While yes, this is very bad. It's not good at all. Um, even Michael Cohen has said before that this is something that lawyers do for clients pretty oftenly. Let let's just call it what it is. Like there are a bunch of rich people who have these type of NDAs and and payments. Um, so. Yes, while he is the sitting president, it does look bad, and it is bad. Let's, it's, it's terrible that that it happens. But as far as like it going into impeachment, um, it, it's going to take a lot more than just this. Maybe this is the first step, but until that comes out, I mean, right now it's just it's looking really bad for Trump. But we'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah, there's also rumors that apparently Cohen has some knowledge that Trump had knowledge of some sort of dealings with Russia that he had previously said he didn't have knowledge of. So if that comes to fruition, that's going to be a, another issue. But it's another one of these things with the timing. And my uh, it, from my perspective, it's, you know, we got the midterms coming up. The polls have not been looking quite as blue as the Democrats and the press, I'm sure, want them to be. And, you know, they pile on the the 12 Russian charges a day before Trump is going to meet with Putin. This stuff just all with Manafort and uh, Cohen kind of both 
pleading, taking plea deals within 24 hours of one another as we're getting, again, we're getting closer to November 6th and the election or whenever, whatever day it ends up falling on this year. It's a, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that just seems to be falling at the right time for the right people. And, uh, the right people are not President Trump in this case, apparently. <laughs> Very true. And and just just to kind of bring this all home, um, and this is from The New Yorker that states that even if Trump has been proven to to make these payoffs uh, by sparing his family and his wife embarrassment, um, this would not be guilty, make him guilty of conspiracy um, or the campaign campaign finance crime. So there, there, there's a and I, I just want to make everyone aware of this because you know and i've said this has been like my kick on the awakening soul for literally like the last month of how people just run with headlines and don't really read all the way into them there's a there's a large step or several steps that need to be made before paying off of women um and the campaign finance crimes can really then make another step into impeachment and so everyone just hold your horses we'll see what comes out um and I mean, we'll just watch it. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Absolutely. It's entirely possible that he's found guilty of this and he's just met with a with a hefty fine and then nothing else amounts to it. It actually happened to the Obama campaign. So, yeah. And there you have it. Um, so moving on to the next thing. Um, so as me and you are, are one to send each other articles and, and kind of just be like, what in the entire fuck did I just read? Um, yeah, you happen to, you happen to send me an article and I, I have no idea what I was doing. I don't even remember. All I know is you sent it to me and I read the headline. I sat down and I'm like, Oh shit. Let me, uh, I, I really need to take this one in for a second. <laughs> and your text to me was literally, Oh boy, do I have things to say? My response about oh, it was two hours later is well damn we definitely have to discuss this so yeah. that just kind of sets the tone of what this is so you send me an article um the title of the ar- article is when feminism is white supremacy in heels yeah <sighs> let's let's uh, I, I, the, the backlash for this one is going to be crazy but i'm here for it so let's get right into it bella I, yeah, I don't even know that this, that this realistically, if you're backlashing at this, you need to reevaluate things because I just I'm looking at this article. And first and foremost, the woman, her name is Rachel Elizabeth Cargill. She writes for Harper's This is where this article came from. Folks, I don't even know where I find these things. Sometimes I certainly do not regularly visit Harper's especially after reading this article. Uh, I may very well block it altogether from all of my search engines. But here we go. August 16th, 2018. When feminism is white supremacy in heels. So basically, uh, Rachel Cargill is making the case here that white women within the feminist movement are not necessarily focused enough on the issues that exclusively deal or are or, or, or dealt with by women of color. And I mean, maybe that's true. I'm not even going to pretend that that's entirely false, but. To call it, go as far as to call it white supremacy in heels, let's see some of her evidence, right? So she bases the whole thing around the lack of outrage from white feminists about the death of 18-year-old Nia Wilson, uh, who was stabbed to death in an unprovoked attack in Oakland by a homeless man who happened to be white. Uh, Nia happened to be black. And this is supposedly some sort of racial crime. Uh, the, the it, it was later determined that the homeless man had serious psychological issues, had not been educated, uh, had not been medicated, probably hadn't been educated, and had been homeless for some time. Uh, there were no racial motives to be found of any kind, but because, you know, obviously the, the victim was black and the, uh, and the assailant was white, 
Uh, this particular author and many others seem to think this is some sort of racial issue. But um, I, I also don't. The funniest thing about this CEO is that she makes she makes a racial racial issue out of this, but she doesn't make a gender issue out of this. It was a man who attacked a woman. Here she is trying to speak on behalf of feminism, and she didn't make a sex issue out of it. She made a race issue out of it, which is just kind of weird for me to begin with. But moving on from there, she goes to kind of go on and talk about why this case didn't necessarily get as much attention as cases like Lacey Peterson's death or Jean Benet Ramsey's death, uh, both of which, by the way, were sort of mysteries. Like no one knew. We still don't know to this day who killed Jean Benet Ramsey. Uh, it's some people think Katy Perry is Jean Benet Ramsey. That's how far the conspiracy theories have gone. Um, so. Those stories got intrigued because the stories were intriguing. It had nothing to do with the fact that the victims happened to be white. Um, but moving on from there, uh, actually, let me pause here. CEO, any thoughts on any of this before I keep going? Uh, um, a lot of my thoughts come later in the article. So let, let's just keep pushing for now. Okay. So basically, <laughs> she was wondering where the white feminist voices were in this, in this particular instance uh, to, to speak out on behalf of Nia Wilson. Uh, so going a little further down the article, she goes as far as to say that white women can claim titles like intersectional feminists somehow uh, took this as a call to solidarity as a personal attack. So basically what she's trying to say is that if the if these if the white feminists join forces and deal with the exclusively uh, the, to the issues exclusive to the women of color within the feminist movement, that it, by 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 them questioning, I guess, the white women's uh, integrity in a more all-inclusive feminist movement these these white women are taking it as a personal attack as if their efforts are, are somehow less than and uh i mean in my opinion it almost i would take it that way like i'm here you know you're you're there speaking on behalf of a movement altogether and now some subsection within the larger movement is asking everybody to kind of focus on something that only really affects them now i'm not saying that we shouldn't obviously speak out against racism things of the like but that's the feminist movement sort of should should be more about gender than it is about race if you want to have another subsect you know another meeting that's fine another group but i feel like as women all being there for the feminist movement they should all be there to promote you know issues that affect all women not just specific women where does that end and how far does this subsection go before these groups start turning on one another but a little bit later on in the article uh, they talk about some of the methods used by white feminists uh, apparently to try to tampen, uh, dampen down the opinions of, uh, of the women of color within the feminist movement. So one is tone policing, uh, where apparently white women will tell uh, women of color within the feminist movement that they need to maybe, you know, be take, take a lighter tone and maybe not show so much frustration in their arguments, which is something that sounds to me like sound advice for anyone of any race, but neither here nor there. Uh, that was it. That was one issue. I mean, it's almost as if the art, the the author is suggesting that women of color within the feminist movement are inherently louder and more frustrated and more emotional. And henceforth, the white women need to tell them to kind of counterbalance their like, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like she's making concessions about stereotypes there that I feel like aren't real uh, and they don't need to be conceded to because they don't necessarily exist. Um, so it's like one way or the other. I don't know. That whole thing took I took issue with that. Also, apparently white women tend to say like, you know, just kind of kind of let it go. Like, let's all let's let love light the way or whatever the case may be, um, which which is, I guess, in some way also, I guess, not 
focusing on the larger issues that this particular author feels that they need to be focusing on. And then last but not least, uh, well, there was a couple others, but white savior complex was one uh, that I guess white women often have to justify their lack of racism in some way, shape or form. We've had this conversation before CEO, like how do white people prove they're not racist exactly? Well, I guess this woman took exception to some of the examples that white women often use and some of which are frankly dumb. But again, you're kind of asking somebody to prove something in a conversation that just can't be proved in a, over the course of a conversation. So that was, I mean, largely it uh, with this article. I mean, I do have a plenty of other things that were driving me nuts about this. If you have any, by all means, man, let's touch on them. But then I did want to point out one last thing real quick is that no less than six days after this article was uh, was printed, there was a woman, uh, a Fordham professor by the name of Christina Greer. She happens to be African-American. She was on MSNBC talking about the death of Molly Tibbetts, who was killed by an illegal alien in Iowa, Uh, 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts, who happens to be white. And this professor referred to her as some girl in Iowa. And yet I did not see an article from Rachel uh, Cargill freaking out about this lack of support within the feminist movement. So it's just all very ridiculous to me. Well, this this is the first thing I want to say. So first off, um, I will say that us being two men here, a white man and a black man, we we could never truly understand feminism. Um, we can support, we can we can show our support the best that way we can. We can we can try to gain understanding. We can retweet, support movements, do our part of what we can. But I, I I say that we can never truly understand all of the feminist movement because it's not our it's not our place. It's it's our place to try to learn as I said, the best we can. But in reading this article, I would like to I just want to point out, because you know me, I love when people contradict themselves. Um in this article, she pointed out how when white commentators were asked um to support this and show the same outrage about Nye's death that many did. And she even says in this thing, both demanding that justice be served while expressing their disbelief at such a story hadn't gained national attention the same way. So there are there there were white women that show their support and to directly quote her many did. But then she goes on to say, but there was just as many white women who who have titles such as social justice warrior and intersectional feminist that took this call as a personal attack. What I will say that is this is you you will never get a hundred percent of anything out of anyone. So it seems like while she while she even notices herself that many white feminists did share out and demand outrage and, and attention go to this, that but she wants to focus on the ones that didn't. And I would just gather I, I haven't looked, but I would just gather that not every black feminist went on the same outrage either. So that right there it contradict what what do you think because like I said, I always love when people stay, stand on these high horses and kind of just shove aside when they do get support because it's never going to be 100 percent. But what do you think about that, Bella? Yeah, I think it's the, I, she's kind of just making she's painting everybody with a really broad brush in this case, which is kind of funny. It's almost bigoted in its own sort of way where she's, um, you know, she's taking um She's taking the larger group of white feminists or I, I don't even know. She doesn't even break it out to whether it was a plurality. It was a, a, a majority of white feminists that she reached out to that that followed suit and reached out about this particular cause. But I mean, if you're just take any group, take, you know, feminists, uh, Republicans, Democrats, whatever, like uh, within any group of people, there's are, there's still going to be differences of opinion. But if you're there for, like I was saying before, if you're there for the feminist movement, you should all be there and focusing your energy on things that 
affect all of you as a whole. And again, like if there's subsections that have causes that need to be taken care of, sure, those those issues can be addressed as well. But I feel like it's a separate issue entirety again, uh, entirely. Again, this 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 particular woman who was who was killed, uh, Nia Nia Wilson. There's really no evidence to suggest that this was a gender based hate crime or a race based hate crime. It's just you know it's an unfortunate incident of a person with some mental health health issues that that you know killed an innocent human. I feel like if you look at it that way. You're not going to be quite as outraged as somebody who's looking at it like a white guy killed a black girl. Therefore, it's a hate crime. Now, their 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 knob is just turned up a little bit more as far as their outrage goes. But to ask people who aren't looking at it that way to be as outraged is just unrealistic. I mean, it's just it's just a completely separate issue in a lot of ways. And I think we I I don't know if it was our last day woke segment, but I believe me, you did discuss this in which. Like that, that whole case, like, and I think you said it at the top too, like it, it wasn't racially charged. It was, it was a guy who was sick in the head. It could have very well been anybody. It wasn't, he didn't attack her because of her race. So I completely agree with you to have, to expect someone to be as outraged if you're looking at it as a racial char, a racially charged crime. Um, it's, it, you hit it on the head. It's not going to, that same vitriol is not going to be shared across, across the subject that way. Right. And she's expecting all feminists to focus on this one. It, it, it's like, like I said, like if you were to look at it, like a larger group, like the Republicans, like there are, there are pro-life Republicans. There's not a lot of them, but I mean, uh, the pro-choice Republicans, there's not a ton of them, but they exist. And while we, you know, all the Republicans go to the same convention, uh, there, there are differences of opinion. And so for people to all of the pro-life Republicans to sit around and point a finger at the pro-choice Republicans and to just, you know, basically, I don't know, shun them from the rest of the convention is not going to be productive to the convention as a whole. Yeah, I mean, hey, I, there's not much more to be said after that. I agree with you completely. Yeah. All right. So there was other stuff within this article, though, that I did think was kind of funny. Uh, one of the things that she says uh, is when you try to exclude yourself from the conversation of race by saying things like, I don't see color or I married a black man and have brown kids. That's just an irrational as a man saying that there's no way I could be sexist or misogynist because I have a daughter. Well, uh, I mean, this is just one example of the multitude of false equivalents that this woman makes throughout the course of this article. But if you like if you're a white woman and you chose to marry a black man, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're probably not a racist. I feel like that's like that's blatantly obvious. I mean, you went out of your way to make this choice uh, that may have even been very difficult for you, depending on the upbringing that you had. And. Whereas like if you and I, you know, we have daughters, we didn't necessarily choose to have daughters like you could still very much be a sexist or a misogynist. Even if you have a daughter, it wasn't a choice that you made. You could have wanted a son. Now you're disappointed in your sexism and misogyny are even worse than before. Uh, but, you know, that, that those are just it's just a completely different scenario. And she just kind of th- includes it as its own paragraph, as if it's actual evidence of something and then just keeps on rolling along, making her point that's just built on just lie and false equivalent and more lies and more false equivalents. And and I think this is the problem when someone stands up on a public form or, or article or whatever. And it's fine if she was sharing this as if, hey, this is just my opinion. Um, this is how I view it. This is how this affected me. This is how I took this personally. But to state this as unequivocal facts is where it starts becoming a problem. And that's something that I keep saying that I do with this podcast is I, as I like to state my opinion, I like to state the facts of whatever happened, my opinion, let's discuss it. People walk away with how they feel. And that's, that's the point of it. But I don't stand here and sit up here and say unequivocally that 
that Jay-Z is the worst rapper in, in America. Like, I, I I don't say that unequivocally. I can say that that's my opinion all day. That would be a crazy one. I, I don't think that at all. But I'm just right. using that as an example. Um, and, th- and that's where a lot of my issues with this article come out is that she says things that if it was just her feelings, the what she took away from the situation, fine. I could read that. I could say, okay, that's interesting. She feels this way. This is why I feel a different way. But to sit here and say that, no, th- these these feminists who did not support this movement the way that i think that they should they they should have supported it or they should have reacted to it are racist is is a bit much that's that's a huge stretch yeah there's nothing wrong with with saying that you think that this particular you know whatever circumstance is wrong but once you start attaching motivations to it that it's just it's hard for for most people to see or or to logically play out you know now now you're discrediting yourself and it just it makes it more difficult for anybody to really take your cause seriously uh, there was another couple of things that I did want to hit on real quick, CEO. So, or, or I'm sorry, King Hayes. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> uh, but there was a whole paragraph towards the end of this article talking about what allyship means. So for those of you unfamiliar with this crazy terminology, allyship is just somebody who is not part of a particular, uh, you know, minority group or, or marginalized minority group for that matter. Uh, that happens to be a friend of. So, for instance, like if I were to go to some sort of pro-black march, I would be considered an ally, I suppose, um, in that way. So uh, an entire art- uh, paragraph talking about like what white people can do as allies, or in this case, what white women can do as allies. And it almost seems to me like it's just this crazy list of demands. Like, are, are the white women supposed to drive everywhere? And like, what what exactly is the circumstances? Like, where's the line drawn? It says... These vague things like using your white privilege to help empower others. Like what? How exactly do I do that? Like what? The, the concepts are so vague. Like what am I? Am I even if you were to just do it on a on a man to man basis and I was supposed to somehow as an ally to the black community? Like, again, do I drive everywhere? Do I pay for every meal? Like where exactly is the line drawn? It just seems like it's a lot of uh, the whole article or that whole paragraph. Basically, all it's really saying is that, like, if you're a white woman and you're in this movement, you should do nothing other than push whatever agenda women of color want to push within the movement. Otherwise, you're in some way, shape or form racist. It's essentially just null and voiding the entire opinion of any of the white women within the community, which, I mean, their their opinion should be no more important than yours. But at the same time, to altogether silence them is pretty much doing exactly what you're claiming that they were doing to you in the first place. Uh, last little tidbit here it says racism is as American as pie. Uh, first and foremost, the expression is, is is it would be as American as apple pie, which ironically enough originated in England. <laughs> uh, always dropping the gems, you are, Bello. Uh, I gotta, do have a question. Try to keep it fun. Gotta keep it. <laughs> I do have a question for you, and th- this this make it serious. Uh, that as a white man in America, that you do have a natural privilege. I believe that I not necessarily as a white man have privilege. Uh, as a matter of fact, privilege is even something I sort of take exception to. I, I think we have socioeconomic privileges, uh, not necessarily as white people in general. But uh, when you scale it out, yes, a large swath of the very, very wealthy people in this country are white. Yes, those things came as a result of large institutional systems of racism that existed a long time ago uh, and up, you know, about 50 years ago, they were starting to get written out of law. And it's been a you know, it's been a climb ever since. I think of it more as um, like my family. This is something I talk to you about all all the time. Like my family never actually stepped foot in the United States until say like the late 1920s. As far as it goes back, that's when when the Bellow family first arrived here in the States. 
uh, they were not here during the time of slavery. So during, to a certain extent, um, we didn't you know, benefit from that in some ways. Um, now, had we only gotten here, let's say in the 70s, we would, we would have been here after the civil rights movement had taken place and not really felt uh, any of the benefits that came along with those institutional racism, uh, racist systems that I had talked about. Uh, so it really depends. I think we, as a large, as a, as a large swath of, of people kind of look at the black white issue as the descendants of former slaves and the descendants of former slave owners. When in actuality, there's a whole lot of people that never were touched by either that are here. And I think as long as that is the paradigm, uh, people are always going to look at things in the terms of, of white privilege or white female privilege or however you want to break it down. So, I mean, yes, you can look at it in the in a way where uh, I'm white and I have certain advantages. I look at it from the way of I'm a bellow. My family and my mother's family, you know, came here. They struggled. Uh, they worked really hard. My dad came from a you know a household of eight. His father was the sole income there. Uh, he was the you know my father never went to college. Has made a pretty good life for himself, thankfully uh, for all of us and the family. But uh, I don't know that his quote unquote white privilege helped him along the way. I mean he he worked in you know worked in warehouses uh, with largely you know minority coworkers. Learned pretty much every Spanish curse word and no other curse and no other words in Spanish apparently. Uh, you know, there's there's just a certain element of it where if there is such a thing as a white privilege, then why are there people that are succeeding that are of other races and why aren't all white people successful? I can understand your point of view there. I would think that that's almost too much of a broad stroke. Like, of course, no, all of one group isn't going to everyone benefit from white privilege. But I mean, I think that there's privileges. And while some are stronger than other, that everyone has whether you're a white man you you may have some inherent privileges you may not even necessarily be aware of i also think that as a black man you can have certain privileges as well um i do think that this country um i mean we that, uh, that's almost a conversation for another day um yeah. but a and lot of be a good one to have yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's again i Let's put a pencil in it. Let's say we'll come back and talk about that because you, I, I don't think either one of us prepared to go all the way deep into it. It was just something that you said spurring to me to ask that question from you. But we, we can, we can make that a topic one day. I, I would actually love to have that conversation with you. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's, these are the conversations we need to be having, man. It's one of these things like I was thinking about this the other day and it even kind of references it back to this article is that it's going to be really hard. Uh, to have these kinds of conversations like you and I can have them because we're tight and, and everybody you've had on the program and you know we all we all get along at least to the point to where we can have these types of conversations but um, the large swath of people out there are not like this you know they're not I don't want to say as tolerant but they're just not as willing to, to to step off of an opinion that they might have had their entire lives like my transition into whatever you want to call it tolerance is something that took place over many many years like I I was not you know I grew up in an all-white community. I had some misconceptions uh, about a lot of people that it took a while for me to shake because I had to go out in the world and interact with them. And once I did, uh, it was pretty easy to discover that a lot of the things that I was taught as a kid were just complete lies uh, built on just nothing but ignorance. And, you know, it, it's 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 when you're willing to let go of those things that you can really, you know, stay woke, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, and, and continue to be more woke. Uh, so yeah, I mean, if we, if we're 
like you and I, I again we can have these types of conversations but as long as we're always kind of tiptoeing around each other and, and in this case i mean you know black people and white people having conversations about race and if if the white person is going to look at it from a perspective of they're subconsciously worried about saying something racist and the black person is subconsciously looking for the white person to say something racist and and that's where that conversation kind of hovers like it can't it can't be productive on that level it just needs to be you know find find people of another race that you're comfortable with sit down and have these conversations and hopefully we can keep doing that to the point to where everybody's comfortable with everybody exactly and and you you got to have the tough conversations and i think that that's that's why as much as i love twitter for like networking and you know talking shit to you guys and people who have already have established relationships with it's it's a really difficult place to have a a real conversation and i think a lot of people try to force too much in that character limitation that they have and have conversations that really you need to be having dialogue with and um i think that a lot of people like are have these preconceived notions that they hold really tight onto because either that's what they they taught or that's what they were gr- grown that's what they grew up under or they just grew up assuming these things are being taught that these things are are true about all white people or all black people and they really hold on to those when it's like hey before you come like before I, I could ever come and judge your opinion on anything Bello, even even before we had our relationship like we 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 built our relationship by being able to be open and have conversations and it was coming from a place of trying to understand rather than trying to tear down your opinion and that's why we're always able to have great convo and and deep discussions and and i don't we've never i mean we've had differences of opinion but we've never gotten to the point where we're just throwing jabs at each other because it's not about that and i think that you know as long as we have this platform we should be having those type of conversations a because we've we've ingrained that into our friendship but we feel comfortable enough with each other where we can call each other out if somebody says some shit that's just wrong or an assumption and i love the fact that we have that Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I've kind of gotten to a point in my life where I, I used to love nothing more than being right. Now I'm almost sort of like, I can't wait to be proven wrong. Like it just it's just going to help me grow and learn. And you've helped, you know, that along the way, as well as many of the people that I've come in contact with in the podcasting world, which realistically is all thanks to you. So you've kind of delivered wokeness to me on a platter. I'm happy to be eating off of it, and uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be on the awakened soul as always, man. Oh man, always. You know, you're welcome back anytime, uh, Mr. Bello. Tell the wonderful listeners of the awakened soul where you can be found. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Bello Being Bello. That's B E L O B E I N G B E L O. It's the Max characters. I couldn't fit any more. Um, <laughs> that that's that's it. So uh, yeah, find me there, and then I'm constantly posting all of my projects. Uh, that I'm doing, including the Awakened Soul, including uh, all of the the good stuff I'm doing over on the Hacker Hummy Media Group and the WWPN. And I think I have, uh, for those of you out there who might be watching Ms. and Mrs., uh, there's going to be a bit of a review coming up on the WWPN soon, featuring yours truly, so keep an ear out for that. (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. Well, Bello, as always, man, tell the good people peace, and let's get the fuck up out of here. Peace, people. Peace. All right, so next up, we got just a fun conversation uh, with JB, who's making his return to the Awakened Soul, and we just answer a simple question. Is The Exorcist the best horror movie of all time? After that, I'm going to send you guys away, but here's me and JB coming right up. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, you guys all know, if I, I've established 
one thing throughout doing this podcast. Horror movies are by far my favorite genre. Halloween's one of my favorite holidays. I will sometimes just sit back and watch any horrible horror movie on Netflix. So uh, to talk about not a horrible horror movie, but to answer a question, I brought my good friend JB, who has actually not been on The Awakened Soul in almost a year. I happened to uh, I had to, I had to dig him out of the the pit um, from the movie It, you know, down there with, with Pennywise. So JB, I asked you, man, how was it kicking around with Pennywise for a year? Did he try to eat your face or, or no? He did try to eat my face, but I had to go ahead and keep him down there and move back up and come back come back to civilization. Okay, well. You know, I mean, welcome back to civilization, but <laughs> for anyone who doesn't remember you, because I, I don't think you've been on the episode, we talked about it before we started recording, since the September 11th special last year in 2017, so it's been almost exactly a year. So just for anyone who, new listeners, anyone who wasn't aware, who is JB the prodigal one? Just a, just a regular guy that, um, you know, always has thoughts, always has opinions, and, uh, you know, n- never really did this podcasting thing until about, uh, I'd say probably about a year or two years ago. And, uh, you know, thanks to you, of course, COAs, just like many others, you gave me a platform. Uh, of course, we were discussing uh, wrestling back then. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, you taught me a lot. And, and it's just, I'm just a regular guy just trying to, this is an outlet for me to to express my opinions and thoughts. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be back on the show. Uh, you know, you and I, uh, outside of the podcasting, you know, we talk. Um, yeah, there's, you know, there's been a, a period that we haven't talked, mainly due to my schedule and your schedule as well. But definitely gl- glad to be back on the airwaves with you discussing something tonight. Yeah, so uh, to, to bear the lead, we're going to be discussing, is The Exorcist the best horror movie of all time? And this is going to be just not not super in-depth we're not reviewing the movie um exactly but we are going to talk about the legacy of the exorcist so jb i want to ask you man have you do you remember the first time you ever saw the exorcist i do i I can't i can't call these actual year i know i was like in elementary school age why my parents allow me to see this at such a young age i don't know but um i did see that young age and i remember at that time uh you know i was born in 83 so this is uh late 80s early 90s i was terrified um, of every second of this film see and that oh, and here's the thing like i've i i've always loved horror movies and i remember my mother specifically she's like well you haven't seen anything until you've seen the exorcist like you i don't remember exactly how old i was i know i was pretty young and um it was li- li- literally like right before because they did a re-release in like the 90s or the 2000s with like updated special features or whatever um it was like right before that one came out and i watched it and I'm just sitting there like, okay, this is like not good at all. It's like not, this is corny. And then it switched. Like once, once she, I think her head turned around and she threw up. Like from that point on, I was like, oh my God. Um, yeah, just crazy. And then like when they, when they did the, I don't remember if it was on the original or not, but when they did the, the re-release of it and they showed her like coming down the stairs, like backwards and that creeped me the fuck out. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's just, it's one of those movies that, yeah, yeah, the special features don't really hold up nowadays, but if you just, it's something about it though, like the fact that it isn't like computer generated or anything that makes it even more creepier to me. Um, but yeah, the Exorcist is, is, is definitely a classic horror movie. And I said we weren't going to review it. Seems like we're going into that territory. So let's get back to the, to the discussion topic here in the question. So 
how do you answer that? Is The Exorcist the best horror movie of all time? While I think The Exorcist is a good horror movie, I don't feel like it's the best horror movie of all time. Um, if you were to ask me this question in 1999, absolutely, yes, it's the greatest horror movie of all time. But I think once we reached the 21st century and we got into the 2000s, the, mo- the horror movie genre has changed so much to the point where we even have to question what is horror and even what is getting scared. Um, I think throughout the course of, of the last you know 15 to 20 years, uh, us as a society has been desensitized to to these types of films. It's much gorier now. It's more bloody, uh, more guts, and uh, just more violent versus back then. Um, so I think that plays a huge fact in why currently right now in 2018, I would disagree that it's it's uh, you know the, the you know the best horror film of all time. Is it top 10? Hands down, yes. And I and I'd have to agree with you. It's definitely not uh, the best horror movie of all time, uh, in my opinion. I won't say what that is, but yeah, I, I I can't I can't give it the best of all time. I will say though that it set the bar. Um, it came out in 1973, and I think definitely at that time it was the best horror movie. Maybe, maybe even for a few decades after that, it was the best horror movie of all time. Um, but I think that there are horror movies now that are better paced, and I think this was a, incredibly slow like the first 40 minutes of the film um it does pay off in the end but i don't know like it's it's up there top 10 absolutely top 5 maybe i'd have to literally sit out and write out my top 5 to see or not um but yeah yeah some of the best probably the the worst horror movie sequels of all time though came from oh, this yeah. movie <laughs> absolutely agree i mean exodus 2 and 3 were just absolute garbage um the, the, and it, this is usually the case in any sequels uh whether it's horror or not horror uh the sequels just usually don't don't uh come close to the original but i, I do have to say and i, I don't want to get into the reviewing of this is you know like like you said but um the you were talking about the technical standpoint and i actually think the technical standpoint is one of the things that it still holds true till today for the mere fact like you said there was no cgi involved there's a couple different scenes in this where uh you know she turned linda blair her head does the complete 360 or 180 that was crazy and when she was hovering over the bed and um, a couple of other different spots I, I think these things still hold true to this day uh just like you mentioned in 2000 when their re-release came out, which I actually went to go see in the theater. And for me, it was a whole different uh, feeling because I was actually in a movie theater, pitch dark, great sound system. And uh, then there was scenes that I never saw before. For example, when she did that whole spider walk down the steps with her, you know, the blood coming out of her mouth. I had never saw that was never part of the original. So, I, I you know, I do think that uh, in the course of things, it's it's again going back to the original question. It's a it's a great movie, um, not the greatest horror uh, movie of all time though. No. All right. Yeah, I could definitely. I, I definitely. I'm with you there. Um. Yeah, but Linda Blair, one of the most iconic uh horror movie roles of all time. I really don't know if she ever did anything else in her career, but uh, yes, she did. She did. Yeah, Exorcist two. What? That's nothing. We've already established that is literally nothing. Um, me and you, me and you, right now over Skype can make a better sequel to The Exorcist than Exorcist Two. I know. And Exorcist Three, like I believe, like that's playing constantly on like the third ring of hell, like on repeat. They just forced to watch The Exorcist Three because that shit yeah. is horrible. But I mean, they came a far way. I mean, uh, the the original movie, I think it was like on a fifty million dollar budget, ended up grossing like over. F- almost like 450 million dollars so 
Um, I, although I think the, the the main the original film that's that that was all the success. They base, basically shot their load on that that first film, and that was pretty much it. Everything else was just just them trying to reach for that same success again that they never got. Yeah, sometimes it's just better to be one and done, and that's you know that's one of the biggest like downfalls of the horror genres that the sequels like there's very few horror movies that get better with the sequels um but you know what for us to hear more discussion on that um this was just a test a a taste i should say because we're going to be discussing more horror movies on the fear frequency as we journey through the reins of horror and decide is it good or isn't is it not um new venture jb what what do you what What's your goals for the Fear Frequency? My goal is to find out. I'm sh- there's millions of horror movies out there, and I'm sure I have I have only seen just a, a, a touch of them. I want to be on that journey to find out exactly what is the greatest horror movie of all time. Uh, I can easily answer the question right now, but I've only had I'm sure a small sample size of all the movies out there. I, there's so many movies, uh, not only mainstream but B-roll movies and and independent films and foreign films and i just want to go along on that journey and find what's the what's the scariest movie of all time what's the best horror movie of all time and uh learn so more about this this genre that i love so much well there you have it jb tell the wonderful people where they can find you i can be found on twitter at the p1 jb that's the prodigal one jb at the p1 jb uh please go ahead and give me tweets and uh love to hear from listeners all right well that is soon to be coming the fair frequency all my horror fan lovers definitely check it out looking forward to it uh that's it for this peace all right y'all that's been episode 64 of the awakened soul you can follow me at ceo hayes ceo h-a-i-z-e you can follow the awakened soul podcast at awakened soul pod you can also send us any feedback questions comments concerns theawakensoulpod at gmail.com we are actually going to end a little bit different because my good friend gerald l cooper great podcaster uh but always late but yet equally on point it's weird how he balances that out he uh actually sent in his anniversary clip so talking a little bit about the first year of the awakening so and his thoughts on this so we're going to end with that after he's done talking we're going to send you out on our outro music so just want to say i love each and every one of you guys i'll see you next week peace what's up world it's your boy gerald cooper here from the geek goodness podcast network here to celebrate late but nonetheless here to celebrate the one year anniversary of the awakened soul ceo hayes has been doing some phenomenal work in the podcasting realm he's truly he's truly the the james brown of podcasting the hardest working man in podcasting and it's an honor to be here to be a part of this 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 milestone really um as i'm always late I'm always going off script, so this is going to be no different. So we were to come here and talk about one of our favorite moments or favorite segments or or, or something of the kind. And I guess I could talk about the ever quotable Trumpian Andrew Bello. What's up, Smoke Show? Uh, I guess uh, I could talk about a track Brown. Shout out to A-Track and his controversial opinions, to say the least. Um, and I guess I will in broad strokes, because what Hayes has done here is created a platform for true and honest conversation. 
Um, and, and I guess the, the podcast lends to that where he's not beholding to any corporate masters who demand that, that certain things happen. Everyone who is on the awakened soul comes on and they're allowed to speak their truth. And that's so important now. Um, it's not Fox where it's 90% lies. It's not CNN where, you know, it's supposed to be fair and unbiased and impartial. And it's not really. He's again, to, to bring it back to, to Bello and a track guys who in certain realms do have unpopular opinions, but they're allowed to express those, those opinions and no one's shouting them down and no one's cursing them out. And they, they get on and speak their minds, honestly, where I feel like we're in a place where people don't, don't necessarily argue in good faith. They, um, they argue to win the argument. They're not here to enlighten. They're not here to um, edify. They're here to win the argument. And again, Hayes is, um, Hayes has created a platform where you can come on and truly be who you are, truly speak your truth and have a platform for real discussion. Uh, I guess when I, when I hear about Hayes' success and I hear about um, these little ascending moments and I've, I'm on the radio now and, and I've got this going and, and, and this is happening. Um, I feel a sense of pride, you know, uh, that there's something, you know, it's weird to say that there's something really self-important about, to, like you said, you have pride for your children or something like that. But, um, but, but I do, I, I feel like, um, like he, let me into his home. You know, he, I, I said it on my podcast and I'll say it here. I've said it on, um, on, um, our of honor, which I used to do here. Uh, it was like, he let me into his home and he welcomed me. And with this podcast stuff, he nurtured me and he, you know, along with the other guys at the WWPN, they pretty much raised me up and got me better in this podcast and thing. And to see him grow so much, it's um pretty fucking awesome. So that's it for me because I'm gonna get weepy eyed and sentimental and all of that stuff and you guys don't wanna hear that. So Hayes, congratulations on one year. Many more long may he reign. Everybody knows that joke. Or you should, but there you go. All right. That's it for me. Gerald Cooper. Talk to y'all soon.
darkest reaches of space to another galaxy. Our polarity shifted around. There's nothing else left holding us down. 